previously in the interdimensional coffee house. I may kill you? I please, I may kill you? Charles said, do what you will with me. I'm done. He reached as if to shake the man's hand. The man looked at Clara. Then he took Charles's hand with both of his hands and led him through the door into the void, all the while crying out, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Charles the Grey and Job, the human Lincoln who'd brought the free web to Venus and survived the massacre of 2463, were sitting in that now famous cave. Job's centuries of development of his human capabilities, combined with Charles's half-reticulan Venusian mind, made a powerful combination. Together, they were able to peer beyond all previous horizons. Universe number one wasn't the first universe, but it was the first universe that Charles and Job saw, other than their own. It was similar to our own, but much older. All that was left were cold planets and supermassive black holes. A few of the planet's cores were still a bit red-orange, like the last embers of a campfire. Huddled around these core campfires were the only remaining sentient beings in that universe. Charles was deeply moved as he peered into their minds and felt their detached ambivalence toward their own memories of a grand, ornate, and elaborate tapestry of multi-galactic civilization. Out of necessity, the many had become very few. They became energy efficient to an extreme degree. Many individual beings merged into one crystalline structure, which surrounded the deep inner cores of these few planets. Each of these beings had records of all the others but as the universe's expansion began to accelerate beyond light speed, they were unable, even with their technology, to communicate with their cousins huddled around those other campfires. And after what we would call hundreds of millions of years, they had all begun to doubt the existence of the other beings, and to consider their distant memories as perhaps some comforting story they made up for themselves, like a dream to distract them from the great and ever-expanding void they were able to perceive all around them. It was Charles the Grey's memory of the sadness of those beings which motivated him to build the coffee house 97 Earth years later, after Job had died and Charles the Grey had broken Blythe out of the machine for the first time. Charles the Grey made Coffee House 1 and opened that first door to Universe 1. Then, as fate, or Clara, would have it, Charles Rubin appeared and was unsupervised just long enough to put his head through the door. The inward-facing deep purple crystalline sphere filled with ancient memories of a universe that was no more which huddled around the nearest cold planet's core was able to perceive him in the distance and it became an object of obsession for it. It knew that this was an actual other being in present time and it did not match with any of its own records received from direct assimilation or through indirect assimilation of records. It knew that if it could assimilate this other being, it would be quickened and made new again. 
and that it could also see itself through the eyes of this strange new kind of being, which was Charles Rubin's disembodied head. Over the centuries that followed, the crystalline sphere devised a way that it might send a piece of itself, a probe which could act as eyes and ears and mouth, at great risk to its own survival, and using more energy than its better judgment felt it should, it sent the probe upward, using a drill to the surface of its cold, dark planet, and up into the cold void of space, to the portal where Charles's head had appeared. When it moved through the portal, the coffee house gave it a human form, as it was made to do. He was a somewhat awkward and creepy-looking man with an off-putting grin that did not match with his eyes. He didn't have a name. Where he was from, he had no use for names, as other beings were generally considered by him to be a pleasant fiction or myth rather than a history. He met Charles the Grey and Clara, and they taught him how to use the portals on the pyramid walls to visit his cousins. He was very grateful, as were all of his cousins in that universe. And Charles the Grey was happy that the purpose of the coffee house's creation had been fulfilled. And yet, that creepy man in the grey suit still searched for the object of his infatuation, which he still thought would be the floating head of Charles Rubin, until he finally met him. Charles Rubin wore the goldfish bowl helmet and silver spacesuit that the Fathoms had given him on Venus the previous morning when Charles the Grey's ancestors' zygotes were still cryogenically frozen in the basement of his universe's doppelganger of Queen Elizabeth II-sold casino, that creepy man returned to his true form, that of a small black sphere. The light from the bright interdimensional sun behind Flapper Clara's island shone in from the rectangular door floating in space, and to all appearances was the only source of illumination in the universe at that moment. Charles Rubin held the man, the sphere, in his hand, as it led him back to the dark planet ever so faintly distinguishable in that light. As he approached, he could see that were this planet properly lit, it would likely be much more brightly and ornately colored. They approached the opening it had made with the drill long before. Charles felt a bit like Alice falling down the rabbit hole as gravity's pull on him increased and he could sense the volcanic rock around this deep, deep hole was once a lively and deadly red mantle. They reached the once white core that was now dim and red-orange, and Charles was overcome by the beauty of the great amethyst geode he was now inside of that was the creepy man's true form, and the black sphere probe returned to its place among the crystals, quickly moving from black and spherical to one of the many angular purple and translucent crystals which were all around him, above him, reflecting the red-orange light. He thought of a chameleon. Are you ready? The voice came from all the purple crystals at once. Charles called back. Yes! And the crystals all began to move in a swirling pattern, which reminded him of a pinball machine. Charles was lifted somehow toward the crystals, and, unable to imagine any other outcome than that of being torn to pieces by them, let out a frightened squeak. Ah! And that was the very last thought he ever had, as a version of Charles Rubin. The very next thought he had, he shared in common with the crystals. In that same pinball swirling motion, 
He thought of all the new visions and smells and memories and ancestors and wars and histories and beautifully colored planets and things like birds or bats but more like plants and entire planets of solid gold. He also thought of his own memories from the point of view of the ancient and profoundly bored crystals and the memories of Charles Rubin were a drop in the bucket next to these vast histories but for the crystal in structure Charles's memories of his world from his point of view opened them up to whole new worlds and possibilities. And Charles's very mind, his personality, allowed the crystalline structure to laugh at itself for the first time and to know what that means. This new being was neither Charles nor the crystalline structure. His face was like Charles, but much older, and his hair was white as snow. He decided at that moment that he should have a name and that his name would be Larry. Being the offspring of Charles Rubin, and in a sense being himself Charles Rubin, he also had the abilities of Charles Rubin. He would never again have to leave the core as a probe to seek out that old door that Charles the Grey had so graciously opened long before. He held up his right hand, with fingers outstretched, and there before him appeared a door. And on the other side of that door stood the Clara in the flapper dress. About time, Larry, she said, and they both had a good, long laugh. <laughs> <laughs> ¶¶